One day a woman came home to find her husband in the kitchen and he was shaking frantically with what looked like a wire that was running from his waist to the electric coffee pot that he had in his hand. And so to her, she thought that he was being electrocuted, so intending to jolt him away from the deadly current, she grabbed the first thing that she saw at the back door, which was a plank or some kind of big board that had been left there. And so she just whacked him with it to try to jolt him away, ending up breaking his arm in two places. Later, she found out, up until that moment, he had been happily listening to his iPod. (laughs) Now, how many of you own an iPod? Raise your hand. Come on, raise them up high. I want to see. How many of you used to own an (laughs) 8-track? How many of you would rather go back to the 8-track days, right? Okay. We have 8-track generation people here. Well, folks, you better embrace it. Since 2001, the iPod has taken over. That personal little entertainment center, only about two and a half inches wide, four inches tall, half inch thick maybe, but in that tiny little box that we call it, you can store your entire musical library. You don't even need CDs anymore. You can listen to the music, and not only that, I mean, you can do everything with that little iPod. One of the most interesting things to me about the iPod, and I know I'm weird because I'm a preacher, but I like how it's spelled. I like that it's spelled with a little I and not a capital I. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to take that little phrase and I'm, I'm going to take it and call it I-Truths for an iPod generation. And so for the next four Sundays, starting today, I'm going to give us four areas in our life that God instructs us to, from his word, with truths that we need to grab onto and take to be a part of our life. The first one that we're going to look at this morning is I Surrender, okay? Our invitation song this morning is I Surrender All. And maybe by the time we get to that point in our our, uh, service this morning, maybe you'll have a better understanding in your life from a spiritual standpoint of what it means to truly surrender everything over to God. You see, in order to obtain the satisfaction that God wants to give you and I, we have to transform ourselves into little eyes. We need to focus not so much upon ourselves and what we want, we need to focus more on what God desires for our life. As we begin a new year, and as Doug has reminded us, as we continue our mission and vision and what God desires for this place, more important than anything, we want God's will to be done, not our will. And sometimes that's a very difficult thing to do, is to try to just get away and back away from what you and I want. Several years ago, the New York Telephone Company made a detailed study of telephone conversations to find out which word is the most frequent used in conversations. Well, you can probably guess it was the pronoun I. In some 500 
telephone conversations, the pronoun I was used over 3,900 times. Shouldn't be a surprise to us, should it? A great theologian years ago wrote these words. He says, God is great, and therefore, he will be sought. Then he goes on to say, he is good, and therefore, he will be found. So I want to start this morning in Jeremiah chapter 29. So I want you to turn there with me. Jeremiah chapter 29. You can go to your Bibles, go to your iPod, go to whatever you need to, but I want you to find the Word of God, and I want us to look at some of the truths this morning about the idea of surrendering. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 29, a letter to the exiles, beginning in verse 11. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. Now look at this. When you seek me with all your, what's the word, church? Heart. Look at verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, I want you to turn over several thousand years from that point, and I want you to look in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I want you to jump down to verse 24. I want you to take the truth you just heard from Jeremiah and now let's see how Jesus says this then Jesus said to his disciples if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me you know when you stop and think about it Studies have been done to show this. We like to look at ourselves. If you go into the lobby of big buildings today, sometimes you'll find the walls are filled with mirrors. And they often do that because they've discovered that people complain less about waiting for slow elevators when they're occupied looking at themselves. Now, can you imagine? Studies have really been done about crazy things like that. And so now you know in a lot of our big buildings and cities why you have all these mirrors around. And you just think about it. I know you're not thinking about yourself, but you do it a lot. We all do. Next time you're in a big building and mirrors are around, you just look at somebody else. Just watch somebody else. And I guarantee you nine out of ten of them will be looking at themselves in the mirror, and you do some of the craziest things when you look at yourself in the mirror, don't you? Don't even realize it, but it happens. And so, not only do we like to look at ourselves, we like to talk about ourselves. In fact, one of the main things that this world encourages us to do is to center attention on where? On self. Go back years ago, Socrates once said, Know yourself. Psychiatrists will tell you today, express 
yourself. Counselors say, just love yourself. The waiter at the restaurant or the waitress, what do they tell you? Not in, in so many words, what do they do? Indulge yourself. I mean, by the time you're finishing you know, your main course, what are they doing? They've got the dessert tray right there in your face. And while you're almost full, you begin to order more. Indulge yourself. Personal manager advises you, assert yourself. Health companies come along and advertise, just take care of yourself. Leisure time industries tell you, pamper yourself. World encourages everything about self. Only Jesus is the one that comes along and says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny what you want. And what does he say? Take up the cross that my son went to and died for you Take it up, all that it embraces. Take it up and follow me. Well, how do we do that? How do I surrender my pride? How do I deny myself? I want you to turn now to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James tells us, there's a way to know if your pride has taken over. In other words, there's a red flag that you can watch for that will basically send a loud message that says, I'm in charge here, not God. And whenever we see that red flag in our lives, we need to know something's not right. Something is out of order. So here's, what, here's how James says it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask God. So what's the sign that we're more filled with ourselves than God. What's the sign that pride has filled our lives? That sign or that red flag comes in the form of anger, comes in the form, how James says it, in quarreling or fighting. Because here's the deal when you get in a fight or an argument with somebody, you go back to your childhood days. If you fought much on the playground, what's the bottom line of why you get in fights? Because you didn't get your way. You lost or you didn't get something that you wanted. And so you start spatting something off to each other. And all of a sudden that spat begins and it forms into a fight. Because you didn't get what you want. Or here's what happens. We quarrel and fight a lot of times because it's when somebody has stepped over the line. They've crossed the boundary into our territory They've crossed a boundary into my comfort zone, and all of us have comfort zones, right? They've mistreated us. They've denied us our rights. They've said things or they've done things to us that make us angry. They had no right to treat me that way. They had no business saying those things or doing those things 
to me. And so we just get on that rampage. Basically, what are we shouting out? How dare somebody else do that to me? Whatever that might be. And so essentially, James is saying to us, when those emotions take over, a lot of times it means that we have taken over and that we have lost sight of God. Now I want to take you back. I know we're back and forth. That's okay. Go back to Genesis chapter 50 for a minute. I'm going to take us back several weeks ago from our study of the story. Go back to Genesis chapter 50. And I think this story kind of illustrates what we're talking about this morning. There's this 17-year-old boy that God wants to honor. God gives this man a couple of visions. Who, who are we talking about? Joseph. And in those visions, he shows this boy that he's going to become a great man. Why? I mean, even his family is going to bow down to him and honor him. And so Joseph made the mistake of telling his brothers about these dreams. And I mean, his brothers became furious about that. In fact, they're offended. So they didn't like him much anyway. So he'd done a few things that rubbed him the wrong way. And to make matters worse, Joseph was their daddy's favorite boy. And frankly, I mean, his brothers, they hated him. So one day they got Joseph off by himself. And look what happens beginning in verse 16. They sent, all the wrong, they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. And this is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. He cried over it. And so his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then he goes on to say again, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children, and I want you to be reassure, reassure them and speak kindly to them. And so for the next 17 years or so, Joseph was either held in slavery or in prison and his brothers had robbed him of his home, his family, his friends, his freedoms. I mean, they took everything away from him. They had no right to treat him like that. They said things, they did things to him that weren't right. I mean, how dare they do that to Joseph? But how does Joseph respond? Am I in the place of God, he says. He had the power Joseph had the opportunity to exact his just revenge. And as we look at it from this side, we could even say he had every right to do that. But what does he choose to do? He refuses to bow down to that. Why? He was a humble man. He had long since learned the importance of making himself into a little I. This world would be a smoother place to sell 
if all of us would take a dose of humility and live out life with a little eye. And so the rest of the passage, he refuses to put himself on God's throne and take revenge. And throughout his captivity, he spent more time focusing on God's goodness and promises than he did on his brother's wickedness. And when the time came for him to get his just revenge, he refused. That meant evil, but God meant it for good. And so Joseph humbles himself to God, and God lifts him up. Now what God did for Joseph was the fulfillment of what we read about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they, Jesus says, will inherit the earth. So because of his meekness, because of his humility, God lifted Joseph up and gave him a great inheritance. Now go back to James chapter 4. While you're turning there, remember this. In order for Joseph to make that decision, he did it because he first had to surrender to God. He had to transform himself into a small eye and allow God to be the big eye. Daily, that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Daily, the challenge is what Jesus says. Deny yourself. Deny what I want. Deny my desires and above everything, we want God and his word and his will and we want his way to be clearer than our own way. Just sung the song a minute ago, following in the footsteps of Jesus. The more that you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the more it becomes clearer to us in our life how we become transformed and how we become changed and different in the twinkling of an eye. God longs for the closeness that comes when his spirit lives in us. Look in James 4 as he continues. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Don't you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit that he caused to live in us envies intensely? Some of your versions may say that it, it's jealous, okay? The spirit that lives within us is jealous with anything else tries to take over our heart rather than the spirit. But he gives us more grace. Church, aren't you grateful for a little more grace every day? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see what Joseph had to do? He had to surrender his will, his will, to the will of God. He had to surrender what he really wanted to do to his brothers 
He surrendered that with the great question, am I in the place of God? Am I going to try to be God here? Am I going to try to play God here? Are there times in your life where you try to play God? Are there times in your life where you maybe you just try to be the co-pilot? I just need to kind of help God out a little bit. You know what God wants more than anything? Just humble yourself and let God be in control of it all. Of it all. I surrender, what's the word? All. Not just a little bit. I surrender the things that I don't want to be in control of. That's our tendency, isn't it? No. I surrender all. How do you do that? How do you draw close to God? Look what James says. He goes on. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, our primary interaction with Satan is pretty simple. Here it is. Resist. Don't hang out with him. Don't converse with them. Don't try to outsmart them. James is a practical kind of guy, and what does he say? Just resist. And the slogan that was phrased many years ago, just say no. We need to learn to do that in our spiritual lives, don't we? Just say no to those things that Satan throws in our path to try to get us away. Because as you follow the footsteps of Jesus, Satan is there to do everything that he can to get you away from those footsteps. He'd rather you follow in your own steps than that of God's. So James says, clean up. If you want to submit to God and clean up, get your act straight. And look at verse 9. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Joseph, when it came down to it, had to swallow that dose of humility pill. So he didn't do what he really wanted to do to his brothers. He chose God's way instead of his. Brothers, verse 11, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And so when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're setting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Clean up, humble yourself. Number three, what does James say? Behave. Remember as a kid, you'd walk out the house and one of your parents say, behave yourself. Practical way, what James is saying right here. God's saying, if we let him be in control, if we look to him for our total satisfaction in life, if we come to him and humble ourselves before him, he makes all things work together for his good and to his glory. 
one of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, summed up what we're talking about today with these words. He says, God's presence is more than a doctrine to be held. It is a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. Love those words. Think about it again. God's presence is more than just a doctrine to be held. It's a life to be enjoyed every moment of every day. And when we learn to surrender what we want, we surrender our desires over to the will of God, I promise you this, great things will be in store for our lives. When we surrender our desires, great things will be in store for us as a church. So as we dream out and as we think about 2023, man, we think iPods are in right now. There's no telling what's going to be in in 2023. But I can tell you this, what is always going to be there is God. Jeremiah said it. Jesus backs it up. When we seek God, he will be found. Are you doing that? Are you seeking him? Not just with part of your life, but with all. Let's bow together. Father, what a joy it is to live in your presence. Father, what a joy it is to wake up every day knowing that it can be another day lived under your Lordship. And Father, I pray that in our lives, we know that we have things that we struggle with. We know that we have things that we try to take control of. May we give those to you. May we surrender what we want. And may we bow to you and surrender all. And so we want you to have your way with our lives. And that's our prayer this morning. It's through your son's name that we pray.